Hey, what's going on? Sorry for the wait. It's been a minute since we've uh, looked at Philippians together. I'm looking at Philippians 3 today. I had wisdom tooth extraction, so I really didn't know how long this is going to take. Um, and while I still feel like, oh, man, someone recently pulled teeth out of my mouth, I feel good enough to talk. Really excited to talk about Philippians 3 um, and really hope that you're doing well and, and ready to uh, hear about what's really one of the happiest books of the Bible you're going to find, right? Like there's joy all throughout scripture, um, but hopefully um, you've been rocking with me, uh, rocking with Baptist Chaplain for a minute now. You understand uh, and or maybe agree, I don't know, on uh, the difference between joy and happiness. Joy being a place that we live the whole time, happiness being a place that we visit. Um, recently was talking with some good friends and talked about it in this term to kind of put a remix on it and said, um, God forbid someone were robbing you, happiness should be something you give freely, right? Like you, it's not worth giving up your life for happiness, but joy is something you should be willing to like defend with your life. Um, it's not something worth uh, giving up. Um, so looking at the way Paul uh, opens this chapter, even though as we talk about chapters, it's important for us to remember that particularly with uh, Paul's letters, the epistles, he wasn't writing with chapters in mind. Chapters came centuries after Paul was gone, right? But um, for our intents and purposes, we're going to look at chapter 3. Um, and it says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. And what that really says to me is the sense of what it means to have responsibility for somebody, what it means to be tender towards someone in your care, right? There are certain things that we can do if you're a parent, if you're taking care of your parents, if you're um, a teacher, someone who has that responsibility, like I got to make sure this person's all right, is that there are going to be things, tasks, and responsibilities that you're going to do all the time. And it's not going to seem tedious, right? So for 180 days a year, <laughs> I wake my, my, my kids up to go to school, right? And Add in weekends where we're going to church or, or times where we're going on a, a family trip. Like, I don't know if I'm waking them up 365 days a year. There's some days where they're just popping up on their own, but you're doing a lot of that work of the same sort of routine, right? And each kid requires their own way, right? Like, they're not set, a, I don't know who is in elementary school age, but they're not like set an alarm and they'll just wake up and be ready, right? They're not reading the paper at the, as, they, as they eat breakfast. That's not, that's not going to be their, their life. So it's up to me and my wife to make sure that we're very responsible on getting them up and ready for each day. So what that means is we're doing the same thing over and over and over again. And it's not tedium, right? It's not like, oh, this is so boring. <laughs> like, it's not like I'm just so bored with having to wake them up every morning. It's a responsibility. And what does it mean for us to kind of have that sort of tenderness, that sort of thoughtfulness, that sort of intentionality to say, yeah, I get this the same thing. It's a routine, but this is ultimately for your benefit. Like I'm doing this for you, right? So in the same way, when Paul is talking to the church of Philippi and says, rejoice in the Lord, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. What does it mean for us to understand rejoicing, joy, as a part of our routine? What does it mean for us to understand that joy as a discipline? You know, we often talk about hope, 
being a discipline, but what does it mean for us to understand joy as a discipline? I came from a church background that often would say things like, um, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it, and the world can't take it away, right? Or encouraging each other by saying, don't let the devil steal your joy. What does it mean for us to say, in spite of the circumstances, in spite of what things look like, in, in spite of what I'm going through, right? Like, we got folks out here, you know, waiting for transplants. We got folks out here um, with, with their loved ones uh, fighting illness. We got folks who, who are really just wondering, what, what's my next meal going to be, right? Like, these are real things like heavy situations to be in. What does it mean in the midst of that kind of difficulty to say joy is going to be not tedious, not something I'm just doing because it's what I do, but a discipline? What does it mean for us to really practice joy on a regular basis? That's something that really speaks to me, particularly in this time where people are going through such difficult things. What does it mean for us to really take that on as a core responsibility? I'm also drawn to verses 7 and 9, where Paul says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yes, yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, that I may gain Christ to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Going into this year, um, recording this in 2023, I thought a lot about what detachment means, right? I really have sort of like dabbled with detachment, um, particularly in, in the form of what's called asceticism and, and really just trying to have as few possessions as possible. Utterly failed it. Now I have way too many books. Um, Marie Kondo would not be happy with me. <laughs> but they all give me joy. Um, but thinking about what it means to not have your sense of self, your sense of dignity, your sense of self-worth come from your accomplishments, come from your possessions, come from your like status in life, right? So it's one thing to feel like, oh, I'm a smart person. And then you're saying, because I have these degrees or, you know, the people around me say I'm smart, I'm trusted to do these things, right? That's one thing. It's one, to th one thing to say like, oh, I know I'm a kind person because I run this charity event ever so often. Or, or, or I know I'm a generous person because I make sure I give this amount of money to this amount of people on a consistent basis. What does it mean for all these very tangible but also temporal ways to understand ourselves? to diminish in importance. So it's not as if we stop existing, right? You're still giving the charity. You're still viewed as intelligent or, or smart or kind or whatever attribute you want to um, hold on to. But they're not as important as what God says about you, right? So yeah, people may think that you're a beautiful person, right? Oh man, I love being around this person. This person's so beautiful. The inside out just shines out. And that's cool. You're not saying, no, don't tell me that. But you're also understanding, you're growing in your maturity to the point where you're like, this isn't as important as what God says about me. I think there's something beautiful in that because our opinions about one another can change, right? We can grow apart. We can grow frustrated with another person. Human beings have this weird thing of like, greatness gets boring after a while, right? Like the first time someone saw Michael Jordan, like, jump from the free throw line 
was spectacular. But if he did that every single game, people would be like, all right, do something, come up with something new. Right? Like, it's just something about the human condition that makes even spectacular things, things are like, man, we'll never see this again, become like, what else you got? So if we're just depending only on, like, the court of public opinion, if we're depending on, you know, this really elite group of critics and how they view us, it's temporal. It's not eternal. It won't last. At some point, they're going to move on. And quite frankly, at some point, there's going to be someone in your field that's going to come along and just, like, change the game entirely, right? It's going to look like what you're doing is from the Stone Age. So if we're holding on to that, we've really built our house on sand, right? This is not going to stand forever. It's not going to last. It's not going to be able to take care of us during difficult times. But there's something about grounding yourself in what God says about you and how God looks at you. Not in your own righteousness, so it's not about the things you've done that justify you, but fully being committed to this understanding of I am justified by what God says about me, what God um, does through me, has done for me, that it's in God that I live and move and have my being. Like having that kind of worldview, shifting from the accomplishments, shifting from just like a great public relations <laughs> um, uh, scheme or strategy and really just centering yourself, grounding yourself, anchoring yourself in this, this you know, unchanging belief in God's love um, and, and, and knowing that God treasures you. That's something that's really, uh, I think particularly for those of us who, you know, have achieved a lot, but have also suffered. I've also gone through tough times. Not grounding ourselves in those highs or those lows. Oh, I'm knocking over my microphone. <laughs> Not grounding myself in, my, uh, in the highs or the lows, but really understanding that what God says about us and how God views us, us belonging to God, is like the chief characteristic. That's what matters most. Right? Also, like in verse 12, Paul says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Because I think there's a way in which you could, hearing what I just said about verses 7 through 9, say like, I'm good. Time to turn off the car and just idle my way into eternity. Like, what's the point of being excellent? What's the point of even being kind, of being courteous with being um innately beautiful right not just talking about like your, your, your physical attributes but just sort of like you know having a beautiful soul what's the point of that if like god's gonna love me anyway but it's something about and i love the like athletic language that paul uses sometimes it's about pressing in right like living your life like it counts like making it like making that effort you know, I was listening this morning to a, a classic uh, a song, uh, Hezekiah Walker um, uh, covers it, called 99 and a Half, right? Um, where, where the chorus is saying, like, Lord, I'm running, trying to make 100, because 99 and a half won't do. And understanding that if we're doing things truly for God, right, it's not because of the court of public opinion, it's not because of the group of, you know, exclusive critics. Um, it's not even to sort of like quiet the loud imposter syndrome in our own heads. But if we're doing everything to glorify God, that means everything we get a chance to do 
becomes an opportunity for worship. So if we're going to worship God and you worship God in spirit and in truth, why would you want to give God like the clearance aisle? Why would you want to give God your leftovers? You want to give God your first fruits. You want to live your life in a way that says, you know what, because I'm doing this uh, in honor of God, I'm going to give it 100. I'm not going to um, give 55. I'm not going to give 99 and a half. I'm going to give this my most. Now, my most and your most may not look the same. That's not what's important, right? But knowing that I'm just going back to sports again, when I'm playing basketball, I am in no way playing any level of basketball at the same quality or stratosphere as uh, my man Steph Curry, as Magic Johnson, as, as, as uh, you know, Patrick Ewing, any of these all-time greats, right? That's not happening. <laughs> it's just, it's out of the question. It's out of the realm of possibility. But I do believe that when I'm playing basketball and I'm having joy in playing basketball, if I'm playing with my children, if I'm playing with my friends, if I'm playing with um, people I'm mentoring, and we're playing joyfully, we're playing and demonstrating sportsmanship, um, we're demonstrating courage, you know, we're, we're really just, you know, worshiping God with our bodies, like kinetically. There is something honorable about that, right? So it's not that, oh, I'm, I have to be playing like Kobe Bryant in order to worship God. It's not that, but you have to give what you've got, right? So Kobe could have played, um, God bless his life, Kobe could have played like, you know, whatever. It's just, it's just another day. And that's still like a lot better than mine. But because it's not, you know, his best, that's not really honoring God. So thinking about the ways in which we use this desire of worshiping God as our primary lens for life, right? And I really want to think about this, how this shifts us in this late stage capitalism uh, from an understanding of like the way we do our jobs, how it shifts the ways in which we parent, how it shifts the ways in which we're a neighbor, how it shifts the ways in which we're a citizen, how it shifts the ways in which we do our church together, education. If we took all of the things that make us a society, right, which I, you know, I could list that for the rest of this podcast. If we, if we think about all the ways that we are a society, all those different ingredients, and we now dealt with them through the primary lens of, I want to worship God with this. I, I feel as if that would radically change the ways in which we did society, right? If I understood that, you know, it's not just me being like, whatever, I'm just going to vote because, you know, I, I, I just feel like, you know, whatever, I just, I just do my civic duty, whatever. It doesn't matter to me. That's a very drastic way of thinking things in comparison to uh, saying, I have a responsibility to God to be a good steward of this place that I live. And part of that stewardship means participating in democracy. Like that would be a radical shift, right? If, if we thought about it, you know, you're eating food on the street, and instead of just saying, like, I'm done, I'm just going to throw this wrapper on the ground. If I said, I need to worship God by the ways in which I take care of my waste, right? I'm walking my dog, and I'm just like, well, I don't have a bag. It's fine. No, I have a responsibility in terms of how I worship God by walking my pet. Right, like by, by taking care of my neighborhood, my community. It's a way in which I think there's an opportunity like to really transform the ways in which we do society. Like even in this very verse, um, looking at uh uh verse twelve, I I see an opportunity for us to get a glimpse of how the kingdom of God is supposed to be. Seeing in the next couple of verses, uh 
Paul goes on to say, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Right? So this whole tension of like, I'm excellent. But that's not the point. I'm not trying to tell you like, I've done it. It's living your life in a way that says like, I have to continue to pursue. And it's what separates, frankly, the mediocre from the excellent. Like mediocre folks get the sense of I've arrived. And they're cool with being like the big fish in the smallest pond possible. Right? They, they're very cool with that. Like no complaints. I am the man. I am that woman in this very, very small area. I'm good. Right, I'm the most famous person on my block. Like that's satisfying for some people. But what Paul is encouraging and pulling us toward is this understanding of what it means to be excellent, not for our own vanity, not for our uh, stat status or stature within the, that community, but as an act of worshiping Christ. What it would mean for us to just desire proximity with God so deeply, right? Knowing that God clearly has demonstrated a desire for proximity with us, like this whole notion of being Emmanuel, God with us, is very much lived out through the personhood of Jesus Christ. What does it mean for us to say, you know what? Deep calls out to deep. I'm going to pursue you. The way you, you've clearly pursued me, I'm going to pursue you. I want to know what it's like to be with you every aspect of my life not just on sunday not just in the morning when i'm playing some some gospel music i want to know what it's like to be with you in everything what how do i worship you by the way i buy my groceries how do i worship you by the way in which i drive down the street how do i worship you by the ways in which you know i, I select which neighborhood i'm gonna live in like how do i worship you with everything i've got right like, I may just have five things, but I want to take those five things and make sure I'm worshiping you with all of them. I don't want to just set two to the side for me. I want to worship you with all five. What does that look like? And I think it has to pull us toward this relentless way of being, right? Which, as we break it down even further, it's, to me, what it means to truly live victoriously, right? Not being defeated and being like, this is the best I could do, or my best ain't their best, so what's the point? Right, not giving into the seduction of nihilism and, and the seduction of saying like things will never get better, but living this radical belief that God's kingdom is pressing into the ways in which we do things currently, and you're seeing glimpses of it, and sometimes it's brighter than ever, and things that felt impossible a generation ago feel like super attainable, and we just got to keep pushing and pushing and pushing, not just off of some like humanist sense of look at human endeavor and accomplishment, but this really grounded sense of my life is an opportunity for worship. My life is a landscape of worship. What does it mean for us to have that sense of pushing in, pressing in, really working, you know, every single inch like a, what was it, Al Pacino in, in any given Sunday? Like this is a game of inches, like just crawling for every single inch of territory and saying like, this right here is going to belong to God. Like things that people thought were impossible. Now this is about to belong to God. Like living in that kind of radical sense of, you know, 
not trying to dominate people, not trying to be like a gentrifier or a colonial, but really saying like, nah, like this is going to be the kingdom of God. This thing that people said was just for like this exclusive place, it belongs to God. And therefore God about to open it up. Folks you never imagined were able to be able to enjoy this, about to enjoy it. That just gets me excited. Me, myself, personally, I get excited off of that. So I really hope that as you're listening to me and watching me, and thank you so for rocking with me uh, thus far, I really hope you feel empowered to consider the ways and listen to the Holy Spirit with regard to the ways in which you can apply this to your own context. Because we ain't all going to do the same thing. We all got different assignments with different parts of the body. What is it going to look like for us to really just be that locked in to what God is doing. I'm feeling super excited. I hope you're feeling that excitement too. And lastly, looking at verse 20, where Paul clearly tells the church in Philippi, and this is, remember, middle of of empire, right? Middle of Rome, saying this, for our citizenship is in heaven, for which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't make the mistake, family, of reducing our witness to mere politics. It's not apolitical, right? Because everything personal is political, right? This is a political thing we're talking about. But if we just let it live only in the realm of politics, then we've missed the point. So imagine if all these different ideologies, all these different lenses were different cups, right? I'm not saying that the politics cup isn't filled I'm saying it's filled and overflowing and other cups are filled. That it's not apolitical, right? Which would mean the cup isn't getting touched. We're not, we don't put Jesus into that cup. No, no, that's the wrong cup. No, no. I'm saying that a Christ-centered lens, a cruciform lens, like a cross-shaped way of seeing the world is going to touch politics. It's going to touch education. It's going to touch families. It's going to touch music. It's going to touch sports. It's going to touch architecture. It's going to touch art. It's going to touch everything that makes us human beings, everything that's a part of us being society. It's going to be touched by it. And what it means for us to understand ourselves, not just merely as citizens of our uh, nation that issued us a passport or a social security card or where we pay our taxes. That's not the entire point. It's a part of it, but it's not the entire point. That's your context for sure, right? It's nothing to be dismissed, but it's not the entire point. But the entire point is understanding that when we pray the Lord's Prayer, and particularly when we talk about uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that friends, we have a responsibility of a beautiful, blessed responsibility to take that so seriously that it manifests itself in our context. That what we're talking about is no white man's religion. It's no Western religion. It's not some American religion. It's not just some empire religion. No, 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 no. This is something that supersedes all of that. Gospel being good news for the poor. That Jesus commissioned us all to be teachers, to go everywhere, not to dominate folk, not to steal in all the jacked up ways in which missions and the legacy of missions has lived out this call, but really would just worship in Babylon. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about truly worshiping God in spirit and in truth, which is going to require a lot of us to unlearn empire sensibilities. It's going to require a lot of us to unlearn a colonial mindset, a 
dominating mindset, white supremacist mindset. We're going to have to unlearn all that collectively. I can't wait for us to get there. So pray for me as I pray for you. Um, if you haven't already, uh, subscribe, Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Substack. Follow me on uh, at Baddest Chaplain on, on IG, TikTok, Facebook. God bless you and keep you. Um, this has been a joy for me. I hope it's a joy for you too. Much love, y'all.